Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Fast Life fans, we are here, Faith in the Fast Life podcast, doing the But God series with the Dream Center, and today we have Rodolzo Lewis. Right. We'll just call him RL because I'm going to mess up Rodolzo every <laughs> yeah. time I try to say it. So we're so thankful for you to be here, man. Uh, what a blessing to see your face here with us. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, just just excited. We'll just jump right into it, man. It's it's. What's your story? Like, wh- why are we here today? Tell us the tell us the past. Tell us the childhood. Through the the whole thing, man. Let's hear it. Um, I'm like I said, I'm amazed that I'm even here today. Like I, I've had that kind of life. That's uh, very fortunate to be alive. You know, basically, I kind of started out. Uh, me and my mother moved here probably in '76, somewhere around there. So I, I'm pretty much a native. Um, came here from Oklahoma. Um, my mom and her sister. I'm the only child. Um, so um, my mom came here pretty much. Uh, you know, she hit the ground running, start working right away, and stuff like that. And so. Um, my childhood was kind of different because my mom's a schizophrenic, um, which I didn't, you know, find out until, you know, as I got older, like through elementary school, when I kind of started getting embarrassed when she would like come in the middle of the school and take me out and like, oh, they're after us and all this crazy stuff. So, um, so I kind of started out, um, uh, my life's been kind of chaotic from jump. You know, I can remember like my mom trying to kill us probably when we were like, I was like five, like she tried to run out in the middle of the street and. You know, it was a lot of stuff going on. So I got taken out of the home a couple times. Um, I had uh, some, you know, great, like, aunts and uncles that came and, you know, like, would take me until my mom kind of recovered, um, stuff like that. So uh, I pretty much, uh, I, I kind of had to learn things on my own, like, you know. So I kind of came out through the system kind of uh, through elementary. Uh, you know, like I said, I was in some shelters, did a couple things like that. But uh, my mom kind of got her stuff together. She kind of always kept a place for us and things like that. But as a... Uh, as time went on, her schizophrenia got kind of worse. And, uh, you know, when I was like nine or 10, um, that's when it kind of got to the point where I kind of had to start taking over. Like it was like, you know, my mom had all the windows covered in the house and we couldn't go nowhere because she was always, she swore that, you know, people were after us and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, rent's not getting paid. Um, you know, bills are stacking up and, you know, here I am a 10 year old kid and they wonder why you're not at school. And so, you know, it kind of got to the point where I had to kind of start getting assistance from like neighbors and, you know, they were like, hey, well, you know, we're going to help you get this together. And so I kind of start, you know, my mom kind of had some kind of sense. So it was to the point where like, hey, well, you got to take this money over here, put it under the door, blah, blah, blah. So like stuff that a 10 year old shouldn't really have to do, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, so it, so it progressively it started to get kind of worse. Basically, uh, when I was like 11 or 12, uh, my uncle introduced my mom to, you know, crack cocaine, stuff like that. She started because uh, my mom was kind of doing a little bit of modeling back then. And so she was kind of in that area. So she, sometimes she would, you know, kind of go in and out. She had all kind of different jobs, different careers, things like that, whatever. But she kind of started to lose it being around that crowd doing drugs and stuff like that. So kind of forgot about me kind of, uh, which I never, you know, held her accountable for that, whatever. But, uh, so she kind of, uh, abandoned me somewhat. So I was like around 12 when I started like running the streets, you know, and I started, uh, I started selling drugs when I was probably around 12. Um, it was more of a, it was more of a survival thing because um, uh, a lot of the other kids in the neighborhood, um, their moms were on drugs as well, and they all knew each other. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of like the little rascals. Like, we had to band together. Like, I, 
I was like the thief. I had to, I, I stole food for us when we wanted to eat. I tried to sell drugs. I, I was never really a good drug dealer. I tried, but it was more of a, you know, I just, I was more of a adrenaline junkie. I just like to just do dumb stuff. You know, I was just like a rambunctious kid, you know, but nonetheless, I was more of a, you know, like a kind of like a leader in terms of just like trying to, you know, take care of all the other kids and, you know, just, you know, just kind of look out for us. Type, you know, this is in Denver, right? Yes, in Denver, so metro is, area, east side area. Okay. East, east side of Denver, 12 years old, selling drugs, but kind of running your own crew just out of pure survival. Yes. Pure. your parents basically weren't there. Your mom wasn't present. She was at that point doing crack, mm-hmm. odd jobs. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so where did that lead? Where did that, you know, from 12 years old watching over the other kids, what, what happens next? Um, 12, 13, that's when I started getting into, uh, started stealing cars. Um, you know, you know, so, some of it was pretty petty, but you kind of started, I started to graduate to certain things cause it got to the point where, uh, um, you know, we had like stolen cars and we needed, you know, food. So we did burglary sometimes like we go steal, you know, like TVs and VCRs, stuff like that and go sell them to, you know, like the, you know, different parts of the town stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I think as I went along, crime started to, you know, slowly start to, you know, get up, step up a little bit in terms of, you know, levels of it and stuff. So through that, as you're in those younger years, you know, did did your mom introduce you to God at all? Like, did you guys have any faith? You know, what is what is very strange is so um, we actually went to church quite a bit. Um, I was uh, in a in a little choir called the Sweet Little Lambs. So I was a little singer and. I was in choir, and, uh, you know, it actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually forgot about that. We were in church quite a bit, um, and uh, I never got baptized, though. Um, the day they were going to baptize me, I, I, I was afraid. I kind of took off, and they were like, well, let's just cancel it. He doesn't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. And, but, uh, yeah, I was in church quite a bit. Uh, my mom was, um, she was very religious. I mean, even to this day, like, she can quote the Bible. I mean, and she does, I mean, she does, you know, she tries to follow through with some stuff like that, but yeah, I, uh, I, I did have God in my life. She introduced me to uh, the Lord probably when I was around five, around that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you knew who he was, you mm-hmm. knew he was there, but it's, it's, as we all know, it's so easy, even as, uh, where I'm at in my life now, like it's easy, man. The different stuff on TV, the social media and all this stuff nowadays is so easy to fall off, but you're 12, 13 years old. What year was that? Um, it had to be around 87, 88. Yeah, cool. So, keep going, man. Stealing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, stealing, um, stealing cars, things like that. Um, I ended up uh, uh, going to Lookout Mountain, um, Lookout Mountain School for Boys. Um, so I get to Lookout Mountain. A lot of my friends are all there. All the same guys I was hanging with. We're all in the same pods together. Some of us in the same cells. So, you know, we kind of. Uh, and it was and like I said, it, it, you know, not to justify anything, like like, but it was mainly petty stuff, like stealing cars, um, you know, trespassing, you know, it might jump some ice fence, uh, take a lawn more, you know, like, like silly stuff like that. But, um, but when I went to Lookout Mountain, um, I kind of met some great people. Like there were some great staff members there that truly cared about, you know, the kids and stuff like that. So they kind of, uh, started to teach us a lot, start to educate us in terms of, um, um, academics and stuff like that. Um, I'm, that's when I got introduced to boxing. I, I, uh, ran into, a uh, a guy up there that was just like a coach for everything. So he, uh, he introduces to everything, rugby, soccer. So I played everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, I think that changed in my life, like as a teenager started to, you know, um, metamorphose me into, to like a, a better individual. Like I started to earn, understand more. I wasn't like, you know, as impulsive as I was when I was 12 and 13. So, um, cause I did go, I think I went to look out when I was 14 I, and I didn't get out till I was around 17. Okay. 
So lookout, just so we know what lookout is, that's kind of like a, like, I mean, explain that a little bit. Just kind of um, like a boy's home? Like yeah, a, so lookout mountain school for boys is, uh, it's like a, it's department of youth services. So it's like a, it's like a, a jail, like it's almost like not a prison, but it's like, it will be considered the equivalent of prison for youth. Kids. Whereas the detention center would be like the, you know, but then it's like a graduation from the detention center to the, to a permanent, more structured place. Okay. You know, cool. so. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was there, uh, I was there a couple years, um, and, uh, started and they, and, and what, what, what the shock was. So when they had me, they put me in this place and it was for, I didn't, I couldn't understand why I was there, but they had, it was a place for extremely violent, you know, kids. And like, there was kids there that had rapes and they had killed their parents and, and, uh, it was very heavy, you know what I mean? And I, and I, I couldn't understand I'm like, well, you know, what did I do so bad to be in a place like this where, you know, I'm around all these killers and all these people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the kids, even though, um, you know, we hadn't, you know, I hadn't did anything like that, but um, it was kind of like a place to, to to go to get a glimpse of what your future could possibly be like if you, you know, if you didn't change your ways. And uh, so, uh, you know, so I saw so the place I was in, it was called, uh, it was called the Cat House. It was called, uh, it was Closed Adolescent Treatment Center. So what happened there was uh, they, they pretty much had a structured program to, to the point where you couldn't even talk. Like when I first got there, I, I see my friends and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? And they're like, hey, there's no talking. You can't talk to him. You can't talk to any of these guys. And I was like, what? You know, so they had it. Uh, they had it like a, it was like a peer culture where the peers ran the program. and They had like higher team members. And in order to even speak to friends, I had to like, you know, like like if I seen Luke, I had to say, hey, hey, Luke, can you listen to me while I talk to to Vic, you know, like, you know, it was like a system like that. And so I had to kind of, you know, I had to really like dummy down. Like you had to really, they kind of break you down and rebuild you. you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. And was that effective? Um, it, you know, it was, I, I learned a lot there. I, even though I, I ended up getting in trouble later on in life, but um, I learned a lot of fundamentals there. And I learned, um, you know, it, it basically calmed me in terms of um, making all those impulsive decisions. I wasn't as, um, you know, ready to, to, to snap or, or do things. Like I, I, I started to think about things. I had more compassion. I cared more about people. Um, I attended church there regularly. Like we always did, like we had a structure program, we had aerobics, we had church, we had, uh, you know, they just had, you know, different camps and things like that. Um, I was, uh, um, I was in a chef school. I did culinary arts. I did, you know, so they had tons of different programs to kind of, uh, you know, educate you and get you ready for your future. So I think that place kind of, um, gave me, a glimpse of, of hope for the future. Cause I'm like, Hey, you know, I can actually, I could be a chef. I could, uh, I could be this, I could be that. So it kind of gave me, you know, yeah. you know, trying little, to steer you down the right path, like definitely. to get you into a career or a trade or something like that. So mm-hmm. what, how old were you when you got, came out of that program? Uh, 17 and a half. Okay. Where'd you go after that? Uh, so I went to a group home. Um, it was, uh, on ninth and, uh, I don't know, Clarkson it was called Clarkson. Um, and so I went there and, uh, it was, it started out to be a pretty good experience. I got there and started to do uh, a lot of you know things that kids do. Whatever they you know they took a skate and um, it was really structured. We went um, cross country skiing. It was it was really nice in terms of you know the things that they they had provided for us and stuff like that. Uh, but me being a you know a bad kid, I kind of started to venture back into you know those those bad behaviors because when I got out. Um, the place was not too far from the Five Points, the neighborhood that I grew up in. So I kind of started to run back into old acquaintances. I was bigger. I was stronger. I was smarter. So I was kind of, you know, I kind of, kind of became a big deal, kind of in the neighborhood, kind of. Well, you're so just. To, I like 
getting timelines on everything. So about what time is this? 1992. 92. You're, so you're 17 years old. You're living at the Clarkson house, mm-hmm. but you're basically starting to run five points at this point. Yeah, I'm basically uh, on the five points. I'm all over uh, the metro area. Um, but uh, I, before I could actually step out of that, I was still in a group home. But um, the good thing that kind of helped me with that was I uh, um, I discovered – I already, I already had started boxing kind of when I was um, in Lookout Mountain because the guy was just telling me, like, hey, man, you know, um, you know, you should box, you should do this, you should do that. But ironically, and this is how I know the Lord put this in my life, because of all places, once I got to the group home, the place they took us to, the recreation center they took us to, had a boxing program. I'm like, of all places, they take us to a gym that has a boxing program. So that was, like, right in my alley. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're able to stay into the boxing, mm-hmm. the Clarkson. So tell me more. So, uh, so as I, uh, I was in Clarkson and, uh, they, they took us to the, the recreation center. And like, like I said, occasionally, um, um, I started boxing there. Um, I started to, uh, compete occasionally, um, cause the group home wouldn't really let me do too much, you know? So, um, and at the time I wanted to box so bad that, um, I left, I ran from the half, I ran from the group home and then the group home came back, you know, they brought the people to the gym and they see me there. They're like, Hey, what are you doing? you you ran from the place. And I'm like, Hey, I still got a couple more hours before I got to come back, you know, I was just always trying, you know, just different things and stuff like that. And I kind of didn't realize like, Hey man, you're not in control of your life no more. You know, you like, you know, your own, you know, so I kind of tried to do what I wanted to do. And, but I, so I went back, they took me back. I went back to the place. Um, probably a day later or so they took me back to the program. And, um, after that, I, I really messed up after that. So I, um, I was at the, I was at the place for a bit and I, uh, I was kind of, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just was a bad kid around that time. So um, I had noticed a system. I noticed how they worked everything. So I, I watched them all the time. So I seen how they was cutting checks and they would do stuff like that. So I got a hold of the, the group homes uh, check checkbook and um, I started forging checks and uh, I started uh, kind of um, just buying tons of stuff, you know, and stuff. And I was using their money all the time. Um, and so I uh, I was buying guns. I had I had guns inside the group home. It was really crazy, you know. It was uh, I, when I think back on it, I'm like, you know, I, I just can't, I just can't believe sometimes some of the things that I've done, you know. But um, at the time, um, I thought it was cool. Everybody else thought it was cool. Like, oh yeah, man, you you got the checkbook, you know? Give me give me a check. I'm like, eh, here's one for you too. Go get what you want. Bring my money back, you know. But yeah, I was so I was I was one of those kind of kids that I, I started kind of getting a little more clever uh, instead of you know it was kind of. Uh, you know, blue collar, you know, white collar type crime, stuff like that. So I kind of ventured into that. And uh, I, I ended up getting in trouble for the uh, for the check thing. And, how, uh, how long did it take them? So just out of curiosity, it's your curiosity. Would, how long did it take them to figure out that you were writing checks out of that checkbook? Uh, probably a couple weeks. Okay. A couple weeks. But by that time, I probably, um, you know, I, the thing about it, I was still afraid kind of. I, so I didn't like go crazy with it. So I, I think I probably took maybe maybe two grand. Somewhere around there, and um, and uh, white, once they discovered that I had, you know, got a hold of the checkbook and everything, I took off, and I was like, uh, one of my friends picked me up in the alley. I remember packed up all my stuff, and you know, we took off, and then I was kind of like, uh, I was on the run for escape from the, you know, the group home and stuff, and uh, so I ended up, um, uh, I believe, I got arrested sometime later, but by the time I got arrested, I was eighteen. You know what I mean? So um, they they filed charges on me, and I was that was my first time coming into the adult system. So I went to the the county jail, and I was charged as an adult for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So the other stuff, like when you went to Lookout Mountain, that's, was that that was all court-ordered, and that group home was also court-ordered? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like when you left there, it wasn't like it wasn't like someplace just to help you. Like you were supposed to be there. The court said you're supposed to be at this group home. Mm-hmm. So when you left there, you were essentially still. On, yeah, you were on the run from that kind of hiding from the system, if you will. Right. And then at 18 years old, you got picked up and actually had to go to jail. What What did you get in trouble for on that one? Um, it was uh, I believe it was forgery. It was a forgery case. Um, and uh, so it, it, what happened was it was a forgery case. But since I was still a juvenile at the time, um, they would go ahead and charge me as an adult. But um, the director of the hat, the group home kind of came and worked something out for me. He got it worked out so that um, it wouldn't be on my adult record. You know, I mean, he's like, well, you know, you're going to the county. So I had to go to the county. I probably did like 90 days or something like that. And uh, and then I got out. And I was free because after that, um, Department of Youth Services, like, even though I still owed them time, but they were like, yeah, you know, they felt like I was done dealing because there was an incident when I got arrested, uh, you know, that that kind of um, made them think, oh, this guy's done because, you know, like, uh, you know, because I was like on the front of the newspaper. I had did some high speed chases. I threw guns out. It was a lot of stuff that had happened prior to that when I was on the run. So I had some other cases too. So they were just like, we're going to be done with him, send him there, blah, blah, blah. So I had some other cases and stuff too. So you had other stuff. So while you were on the run, you're, you're back hanging with the old crew. You're mm-hmm. doing the dumb things again, if you will. Right. Um, guns, high speed chases, mm-hmm. running the five points, you get picked up, go into the system as an adult. Now mm-hmm. you're there for 90 days. What's next, man? So after that, um, I got out of the, uh, I got out of the, I believe the county jail. Um, I was on like some probation and mind you, I still wasn't a felon. Um, I actually didn't catch the felony for quite a while. Um, but so I got out, um, kind of went right, kind of, kind of not back to the same stuff. Um, I kind of got refocused on the boxing a little bit, um, met back up with the same people. Um, it was kind of structured and stuff like that. Um, started going back to church again. Um, you know, I kind of, uh, ran back into some more responsible people that were, because uh, my mom, um, she hung with a lot of, uh, you know, reverends and pastors and stuff like that. And she really loved this uh, pastor. His name was Ella Holloman. I remember his name, uh, may he rest in peace. But, uh, you know, she, anytime I was in trouble, she'd always have me talk to the pastor. She's like, hey, you know, hey, let's go over, you know, Pastor Ella Holloman's house. And he'd always say a prayer for me and stuff like that. And we would, uh, you know, it, it always kind of get me back on track, though, you know, even though it might not have lasted long, but, you know, so. Um, so I, so even when I got back out, I, I started boxing again. Um, I won the Golden Gloves probably, uh, I think, three times. And uh, um, so and then after that, um, I was still kind of dedicated to the boxing. But I was still, it was kind of like I was straddling the fence. I was like halfway in the streets, and I was still kind of half-ass messing around, you know, with the, uh, excuse my language, but I was kind of half messing around still, you know, in the streets a little bit. So, um, you know, because it was more of a, a situation where um, – I thought these guys were my friends and I kind of didn't want them to think like, oh man, you know, like I'm not trying to, you know, steer away from you guys. I'm, I'm with this. I'm with you guys all the way. Cause you needed to belong. Right. I want you, you, you want to belong to something like that's a, that's something that every one of us humans want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even in, as we go into ministry, I uh, talk about evangelism, you know, and, and take these ministries out. People want, people want to belong to something before they believe. So we want them to belong to the community, to the culture that we have so that we can introduce Jesus to them. Right. Um, so it's the same thing. It was a longing to belong to something and it may have been the wrong thing, but you felt like you needed to belong to it. Exactly. Exactly. It was definitely not the right belonging. Um, 
um, so yeah, so I so I struggled with that for a for a while, um, you know, going back and forth with uh, you know straddling the fence and stuff like that. But around this time, um, I met you know a, a good girl, and she happened to be a Jehovah Witness. Um, I didn't I didn't know much about Jehovah Witnesses, and um, so you know when she started dating me, we started dating, and she kind of calmed me down. And I think a lot of people will agree with this. Sometimes when you meet a woman, she kind of takes you away from a lot of that stuff. Like you start to stay out the streets more, you start to you know, you know, you start they kind of they kind of control you a little bit in terms of you know keeping you out of the mess, the mess, whatever. So she was Jehovah Witness girl, and um, we started dating, and um, uh, I kind of fell in love with her and stuff like that. And then she was, you know, at me, she supported me in my boxing career. Like I, I started to, uh, I ended up turning pro um, in 1998. I turned pro, and um, so right after uh, a little bit after I uh, I turned pro, um, I ended up. Right when I had just got a contract, I ended up doing something stupid. I got in, I got in a high speed chase. Uh, I broke my arm, messed up some fingers, broke like broke my. Uh, I think I tore some, like my ulnar nerve or some stuff like that. But I had some pretty significant injuries, whatever, and um, kind of messed up. You know the contract I had. I kind of uh, got sued for breach of contract. I had to get back some money. You know it was a couple things. It was a whole other story. But um, so so that happened right around the time when um, I was with this woman and you know started to make that transition and. Uh, so a little bit after that, um, I ended up we, me and her ended up having to kind of part ways because I didn't know that her being a Jehovah Witness that um, um, her dating we were fornicating and that's what her parents and everybody said, which is true. Um, so so basically what happened was uh, she got this fellowship, which I didn't know, you know, I didn't know much about the religion or anything like that. But it was to the point where, you know, but her family loved me and we were cool and stuff like that, and they were just like, well, you know, if you, at least you guys get married or. You know, she's uh, you can't see her anymore and stuff like that. So I loved her enough to to, you know, get married to her. And I started uh, attending the Kingdom Hall. Um, I never really uh, became a Jehovah Witness with her. But um, um, I, I, I do refer to the Lord by the name of Jehovah, you know. But I also um, started to become more into the Bible. I, I kind of just started to, you know, understand more about certain things and stuff like that. But I, I just I just never could really get too religious. I just always believe in have a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with God, you know, so that was always my thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, and that's, that's what fast life ministry is all about relationship, not religion. You know, I, I love our church. I say this all the time on the podcast where we go to church. I, I love it. I love the people there. I love the community there, but I don't think that it's the only way. And I think God puts a lot, you know, God gave us these rules and God gave us Jesus and, and uh, man then spins it into there's rules as to how we're supposed to follow, and right. it can get all caught up and a little weird with that. So, so I get it. Yeah, have a relationship. So you're married now. Yeah, you're not actually Jehovah Witness, but your wife is. Right. But you're getting deeper into faith and mm-hmm. following. And you know, where'd the boxing stuff go? Like, did you get back into pro boxing, and you lost the contract, and it was over? Um, I lost the contract, and. Uh Lost a little bit of money that I had and stuff like that. So it took me about a year to really gain my coordination and everything back. Um, and so, you know, you know, doctors would want to do some surgery and stuff on me, but I wouldn't let them. I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just going to have to let it heal on its own, whatever. I'm not going to let you re-break this and all this other stuff, whatever. So okay. um, so it took me about a year. Um, I came back. I started fighting again. I took a loss. Um, I took a couple losses, whatever, because I, I was just afraid because after I had, you know, after I broke my arm so bad, I was afraid to punch really and, I kept thinking it was going to break again because he was the humerus, which is, you know, you know, the femur and the humerus are the two biggest bones. And so it was it was really crazy for me. So I was really afraid. So I I was losing the guys that I, I know I could, whoop, you know, 
And uh, so I, I kind of was in a deep slump. I, I And this is where I became a felon after this because I fell into this just deep funk. Like I, uh, my, my like stress and everything, it just consumed me. Like I was so depressed that I just was like, I don't want to live anymore and I'm, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to just commit crime. So I went back to the forgery thing. I started forging checks. I started, uh, um, this time it was on a, on a higher scale. I, I, uh, I ended up, um, I started buying cars, Rolex diamonds, stuff like that with cashier checks. I learned how to use a versus check program. I started, um, using route numbers. I started, I just started figuring out all kind of different stuff. But, and at the time I, I didn't care what happened to me. I didn't, you know, and by this time I got kids and everything like that. And I kind of just, you know, I, I felt, I don't know, I just felt so desolate because, you know, um, here I am with a jacked up arm, hand jacked up and everything. I just felt like, you know, I just felt like, hey, you know, I didn't fit in anymore. I didn't, I felt like I didn't belong. You know what I mean? You didn't belong. Back to that belong thing, right? Mm-hmm. Wanting to belong somewhere. So I'm hoping it's, it's just, I'm seeing a pattern coming mm-hmm. as I listen to your story. And and I think at the end of this, I hope, hope what we're going to get into is that you figure out that you belong to Jesus. That's where I hope we're going, man. Oh, yeah. I love it. I see it coming. Oh, yeah. I see it coming. Hey, I got to know real quick. It's I wasn't going to ask, but I got to know. When you uh, when you broke the arm in the high-speed chase, why was why were you in the high-speed chase? Um, so, uh, you know, as, as I told you, I had, uh, I had, just, uh, I had just bought a uh, Mustang Cobra with some of the money I got from the from the boxing. Yeah, and, um, and at the time, I was kind of somewhat still in the life, whatever I mean, you know, because it was – you know, it was times, you know, I, I still knew other people that I had problems with. So I was carrying a gun. I had a gun on me. And uh, so I was showing out uh, on this particular night. It was actually Christmas Eve, 1999. And so I ended up, uh, I busted a donut in the middle of the street, showing off, whatever. And then the cops hit the lights on me. And then I took off. And then I threw the gun out the window. And I veered into oncoming traffic. Then I hit like a light pole or something. And then somehow, miraculously, this is definitely God. Somehow, um, I I was out of the car running on my feet, and they and the car was compacted like it was totally smashed. People were like, they, everybody thought I was dead. They're like, how did you even get out of there? And and even the cops, the detectives, like, we don't even know. How did you even get out of there? And I'm like, I, I do not know. All I know is I was running, and my arm was dangling. And once I seen that, I kind of just fell down. Like, oh God, what's going on? You know. And uh, but yeah, so yeah, that that was so. The whole reason of that was because I I had a gun and I. Tried to get rid of it, and I ended up wrecking. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So come forward now. You've kind of lost your belonging. You've lost your hope. You hurt your arm. You lost the boxing thing. You went and lost a couple matches. You're you're on a downhill slide. Where does that end up? You've, you've got the fraud going. You're doing big-time fraud. Um, cashier's checks. Out, right? so obviously, man, you're a wicked smart guy. Right? I mean, like your brain. Yeah, you would think, right? But uh, so yeah, I uh, so I ended up I hooked up with a couple other you know criminals and stuff like that, and uh, we went cross country, man. I I went, uh, we were doing stuff like uh, buying cars with you know with the stuff, and then we'd like uh, auction them off, you know, in St. Louis, different places like that. We were just doing all the stuff, so I was I was racking up crimes all across the country. So um, went to New York, um, you know, got in some trouble there. Ended up doing some time in Rikers. Um, I did five months in Rikers. It was. Just, crazy i can't believe i survived um but yeah so i so it was just like a crime spree across the country like i you know i was in georgia and here and there and just like just, you know just pure calamity you know what i mean i was just kind of living one of those kind of lives where it was just like uh i didn't really care you know i didn't really care i was i was skinny i was like i probably weighed about 160 pounds i mean 
you know, I just didn't even care. Like, I didn't even look like myself. Like, people didn't, when people see me, they didn't, rec- they didn't even recognize me. Like, whoa, who are you? Know, who are you? And then that hurt me even more because in my mind, I look the same. I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? What do I look like? They're like, dude, <laughs> what do you mean? Your shirt's hanging all off you and you're this and that. I'm like, I'm fine. I take a bite of a hamburger, throw it away. Like, hey, let's go over here and get this, you know. So I kind of just wasn't in my right mind. Was there ever any drugs and alcohol in your past? Um, yeah, um, mainly just, uh, you know, alcohol, maybe a little marijuana. I, I, I was uh, never really into drugs too much. Um, and I didn't even smoke marijuana until I was, like, in my 20s. Like, I, I was more of an athlete. I just was already hype, you know. Okay. But but I occasionally, you know, I did some, I think I did shrooms and maybe some X, some, some stuff like that, you know, here and there. But not. It, never no. a problem. Yeah. You, you were a. Normie, as us alcoholic addicts call it, you could take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't no big deal. Eh, you know. Okay, so. gotcha. So you're traveling the country. Mm-hmm. You guys are just racking up crimes wherever you go. Yeah. When when does that boil to a head? That boils to a head in uh, in uh, December twenty seventh, two thousand and one. Uh, it all ended in uh, Cobb County, Georgia. I was I was down in Georgia, and we had a uh, I had bought a Range Rover from a guy for. I think probably like 28000 It was like a, a check, but typically it took like a week or two for the checks to go bad. And so this one kind of went bad fast. And then so we parked at a hotel like in the Hampton Inn, and the truck was in the parking lot. And the cops came through, ran the plate, and they were like, oh, this car is out of Colorado and blah, blah, blah. And so at the time, we got tons of stuff in the car. We got computers and, and, and hard drives and, uh, you know, all the stuff. So they kind of set us up like as soon as we came out of the hotel, they were out there waiting for us. And um, after that, everything started to crumble. So, you know, they had their specialists go into the, the laptop. They went on the hard drive. They started figuring out. I mean, we had got rid of the, one of the main computers that had all this other crap in it. But this one had a couple things in it. And so those couple things, you know, I got bagged for those. So it was, you know, the New York thing, um, a couple other little deals where I had bought like um, I had bought some bracelets, some diamond braces for 10, 20,000, stuff like that. So uh, I got I had to pay for that. I did. all So everything just everything crumbled. That was when everything kind of crumbled right there. And is that at that point you get you go to prison at that point? Um, I was in jail in Georgia. I was in jail in uh, the Cobb County, Georgia, and uh, that was a wake up for me too, though. Uh, so when I got in there, um, you know, being in a foreign land, basically, like like you know, around all these people I never you know had seen before, and um, the jail, the way they ran it was really different, and everything was crazy. And so uh, um, I was there and. It was, uh, I felt like my life was over it, you know what I mean? Um, so they had a lot of, you know, there was a lot of church guys in there, ran into quite a few um, religious people. And, you know, typically it, that's just, it's just natural for criminals to turn to Jesus. And, you know, that, I mean, we have no other salvation once you get to the point where, you know, it's just you and, you know, in God, you you, you have no choice but to, to surrender, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I like, I was never super religious, but I, I started to, believe more I, I had to I needed something to hold on to because I, I was like I'm not gonna make it you know if I if I don't because they were talking 30 years not gonna stuff and I'm like I'm just gonna die um I'll get I start buying some sleeping pills from this guy and I was like I just start stacking them I'm like they're talking about 30 years they'll get a corpse I'm like oh, I'm not I'm not doing it you know what I mean so and plus I I kind of was in that state of mind I didn't really want to live anymore because I just kept making a, a wreck of my life you know what I mean so yeah. you know. so from Cobb County and that where do they where do you go from there um, so, uh, Cobb County, um, so I was down there with another co-defendant. And so what happened was, uh, I didn't even know my co-defendant was wanted for some major and he kind of, it was almost like he wanted me to go down with him. So, uh, 
you know, the, the, the cases just got bigger and bigger. So based on the fact that I was kind of with him, they kind of like, oh, this guy's along with this guy. You know, we want them back in Colorado. So they contacted, you know, George and they said, hey, you know, we want these guys. You know, I mean, you know, okay, is there anything that can be there some kind of remedy for their crimes down there? And you guys just send them back this way. So they gave me and the guy 10 years probation in Georgia and shipped us back to Colorado. And uh, so I got back here to Colorado, um, had a slew of charges that I had to face. So and then also uh, the charge in New York popped up and, you know, uh, so, you know, just charges just start popping up. So they all caught up to you. Yeah. This is like 2001, 2002. Yeah. So does is this what ultimately sent you to prison? Yep. Exactly what sent me to prison, uh, the uh, forgery and theft, uh, grand larceny. So felony crimes at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And now you served time in federal prison in Colorado. Um, no, you know, it wasn't federal. Thank goodness, it wasn't federal. Um, you you would have thought it was, but the, you know the feds had looked into it. But I think there were probably too many loopholes to kind of get out of it, so they kind of didn't take it. So it was a state. Okay, so state state felony. So you're in Colorado mm-hmm. serving the time. When when did you find the Lord? Like how how are we here now? I mean, we've we've heard the past, we've heard the mistakes, we've heard continuing to make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. When did you start making the right decision? I started making the right decisions um, actually not too long ago because, like I said, I, I uh, I've done a lot of time. I've I've ended up, I've un- I almost done maybe probably eighteen years or so, just but in increments. Like I you know I, I go back for five and four and you know and, and it wouldn't even be the thing that you would even think of. Like I it would be um, running from halfway houses, things like that, you know, stuff like that. But what I started to really believe and started to get into is when they had a church group that used to come up to uh, to the prison all the time. It was, uh, I think they, they called themselves uh, Franz or Croyus. I, I forgot the name. It was a, it was a group. Um, and they were, you know, they were just, they were so nice, man. And, you know, they, they taught us about agape. They started talking about, um, you know, just uh, all these religious ceremonies. And, you know, and I kind of started to read my Bible more before, because before I had, a, I had my Bible and I just, there were things I just, couldn't understand about the Bible. So, I mean, I started Genesis. I would always ask my mom, like, you know, you know, what do you suggest? So she'd always give me these certain scriptures to, to read because she loves Proverbs and, you know, things like that. And so uh, she'd always revert back to these other ones and stuff. So, but, you know, when I, when I was in there, I started to just spend time with um, some of the calmer guys. And it was typically, it was usually the guys that had like life sentences that had a lot of time that had the most sense or, you know, or, or were like um, more reserved you know, so I kind of ran into, I started kind of leaning on a couple couple old guys to kind of help me get through. And, um, you know, we started to talk a lot and um, I started to spend a lot of time, you know, going to church. I started to spend a lot of time um, praying with my, my then girlfriend. She was kind of into it. Her sister was big into church and stuff like that. And we just started talking about, you know, like realistic stuff and, um, you know, how, you know, how God changed our lives and, you know, and, 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 and basically kept us together. And basically started to, I think, really, I feel like I had an epiphany when um, I, I thought I was going to take my own life, really, because I, I, but I didn't have the guts to do it, you know. And I was in, I was in the cell. Um, I had, uh, I started to, I was reading my Bible, but I, I just couldn't, I, I wasn't really feeling it. I couldn't, I couldn't get to it like I wanted to, because like to me, I, I, I get more out of uh, um, prayer and just um, basically, you know, just. Uh, chanting things of that nature or whatever so um so basically i i had the epiphany and i, I kind of felt like you know uh you know lord what do you want me to do you know is this, is this it like uh am i should i even live am i worth living you know am i am i worth anything you know i'm like you know, my kids don't know me that well i'm um you know I'm, I'm not doing well i don't have anything to offer a woman but 
you know, unconditional love. I felt like that's all I had to offer, really, you know what I mean? And so I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And, uh, you know, even to this day, um, I still uh, continue to, to make sure I say my prayers. And I, uh, I, just, I, I just believe a lot more because now it's, it's, it's just got to the point where um, it, it is, it, it, there's, there's evidence. Like, I, it's been proven to me that the Lord cares about me and loves me and wants me here. Like, I am here for a reason, like, you know. Like, so once I started to realize, like, hey, I'm here for a reason, I have a purpose, I started to really feel like, okay, you know, somebody really cares about me, and, and the one that cares about me is the most high, you know what I mean? And so I was like, wow, um, I started to pray, like, Lord, please keep the people that don't mean me well out of my life and bring in the people that mean me well and start to surround me with them. So almost 60 days ago, I talked to a friend they introduced me to um, Pastor B. Me and Pastor B started texting. Uh, we we text a couple times. He hadn't ever he hadn't never met me or whatever. But he was like, "Yeah, hey, you need to come by the office." So I I went by the Dream Center, but I didn't know that it was the Dream Center because it looked like it was just like a senior building. And so I was like, hey, I went, "There's no there's no building over there. Where's the Dream Center at?" You know. And then so uh, after I found out to walk around the back, and then I walked the stairs, and then I met Pastor B, and uh, we just started talking right away. And uh, and Pastor B just kind of just really warm, really warm my heart. And then I met Luke. Uh, and so, you know, we were just all in there talking and they was, you know, they, and they welcomed me. Like, so that, that's what made me feel good. I, I I was like, I'm not being judged. These people are welcoming me, you know, and they're not looking at me all like I'm a weirdo and stuff, you know, they want me on the team, you know? And, and so again, how are we talking about belonging? I'm like, okay, now I'm wanted and this is where I belong, yeah. you know? So, so Jesus, you, you realize, I was going to say it a minute ago, but you realized that the person that cared about you is the one true king. He's the most high mm-hmm. and you belong to him. Like that was it. That was the aha moment for me. I'm like, right. yep, there it was. Like you realized that he loves you mm-hmm. and that you belong to him. And now you, you're, you're basically halfway house at this point. Right. And you, um, I, I'm actually on parole. Um, I made it, okay. I made it through the halfway house, uh, ISP. I've been on, I've been on parole. I've been on three years now. Okay, cool. But, it was just 60 days ago that you had the Dream Center. So you realize that you're loved by the Most High, the, the one true king. Right. And now you find the Dream Center and you find where you belong. Right. And uh, I'm just getting to know these guys as well. But, man, what a what a great opportunity. What a just a cool thing to be able to do. It's so cool. Like, 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 like with me, like, like I, I've been trying to find any and every way to be able to, you know, to be at the program, like just to be involved. Because I love, I mean, I, I'm just – you know, like I, I'm just great at helping other people and I love, you know, the Lord working through me. So I'll, like at the Dream Center, I, I got the, you know, I got the, the, the you know, the uh, the backing and I got all the people behind me to 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 to, to support everything I'm doing. So it's kind of like it, it, it was just like it's just it's such a great feeling to be able to like help people or and also just to just be able to talk to people. Like sometimes I'm, I love just conversing with people. Just random people, like you know, it's kind of, it's almost like this. Once you know, once you're doing good, and you got that good spirit, you got that good aura. People are gonna approach you. People are gonna come up to you because you know, what I mean, like they know, like oh, this, you know, this is good people. Like you know, what I mean, this this guy is protected by the Lord, and we're all in this circle because we're supposed to be around each other. Like we're the type of like you know, it's kind of like opposites attract, but it, this is more of uh, all the people of the like we're like like we're part of the same flock. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're like our goals are the same. We're all shooting for the same thing, and we're kind of like, and the thing about it is. I what I love about this job is like I don't really want anything. Of course, I still got to live and things like that, but I don't I don't have any ill intentions. Like, you know, before when I was doing something, I always, you know, there was an ulterior motive like, oh, yeah, I want to do this and that. Like, but with this, this is more of a 
It's so nice to just talk and not have to put up a, you know, like a, like put on a mask yes, and act like yeah. you're someone else or whatever. You know, it's like I can tell you like, yeah, man, my, my mom embarrassed me. I've been in this. I've been in homes. And, you know, I can talk to you about that kind of stuff and not feel weird because, you know, you know where I come from. I'm from a dream center. I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself. I'm part of a culture. You know what I mean? And, and you're part of the same culture. So it's kind of like, you know, you wouldn't be in this field if you were out to judge people or anything. So it's kind of like everyone's intentions, you know, they mean well. And so I, it, it's been a while for me to be around people that like truly mean well, that don't have any intentions, that don't really want anything from you. you know, yep. Like it's so cool not to have nobody wanting one, you know? Yeah. It's sets you free. Yeah, it does. Right. It sets you free, man. I, I love hearing it. I love, I love hearing how, uh, you know, making all those wrong decisions to making the right decisions and, and finding where you belong and where you fit in. Right. Um, just like I did with the other guys, I always ask as we near the end of the time, if there's one thing you want to leave the listeners with, one thing that you want to say to the people, whether they're have faith, don't have faith, whoever's going to listen to this, what's one thing that RL wants to leave with them? Um, I would definitely have to say uh, to, you know, the people that are out there um, struggling, basically um, it's just when you get to, you, it's almost like you, once you, you think that you're hitting rock bottom, but you don't know you're, 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 you're overturning a new leaf. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, my, my point in saying that is that once you think, well, like once you think everything's all bad and it's over and you're in a desolate place and you're like, you know, you feel like it's pure perdition. You, you know, you, you feel like this is it, that this is the time where you're going to make that transition. This is the time when, when you're going to, you know, you'll be able to come around. And I kind of feel like um, people need to hear that because I know people are in dark places right now. Like, like people are, you know, probably where I was, where they were like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with my life, but, it's kind of like you just got to wait it out. It's one of those situations, just wait it out. When people say things will get better, they do, but it's sometimes it's just not in the way, in the time that we want it to happen. And, you know, like they say, you know, we plan, God laughs. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, we, you know, that's the thing about it. You got to, you got to wait, man. It's, it's on, we're on his time. Yep. He's got a plan in it. Just trust in his plan. And sometimes when you get to that very rock bottom, like you said, a lot of prisoners, when you're alone, that's when a prisoner turns to God because you don't have anything else to hold on to. So I'd like to, you know, expand on what you said there is when you're down in that dark place, rather than letting yourself get all the way to that, reach for God, reach your hand out and he'll grab it and oh, yeah. pull you along with um, the and Roman says that all we have to do is ask. Exactly. Just, just ask. All we have to do is say, Lord, I need your help. It's like when Peter was walking on water and Peter began to sink, right? Because he wasn't focusing on Jesus anymore. All he had time to say was, Lord, save me. And he was saved. That's it. It's that simple. Yeah. And, and, that, and that reminds me, I'll say this last thing. It reminds me of when I used to pray all the time because I talked to my auntie and, and you know, she's like, hey, you know, when you pray, you don't have to pray out loud. You know, you can say it to yourself. And, you know, my mom's kind of, you know, on some other stuff. She's like, hey, you know, pray, you know, like silent. You know, you don't, you don't want Satan to hear what you're saying, you know. And I was like, okay, mom, whatever. So typically I do pray and I and I pray like within my head. But sometimes I pray out loud too and stuff like that. But um, I say all that to say this, that uh, my auntie told me, she said, um, you know, she said, Rodolfo, um, don't pray for the things you want. Pray for the things that you need. You know, don't yeah. don't, don't keep you know, don't say just because you want this and that. What do you really need? Think about what you really need. You know what I mean? And that's really stuck with me. Yep. 
Good stuff, man. So thankful to have you here, guys, as we uh, sign off today with Rosaldo Lewis. Rodalzo, yeah. Rodalzo Lewis. RL. RL. I knew I, <laughs> I had to mess it up at least once, man. I tried the whole time. It's all good. Only said it once the second time I messed it up. But uh, fastlifeministries.com, you know, follow us, like us, subscribe to us, uh, share this podcast, share all the podcasts. We get people to listen and make a difference. People like uh, RL Story. Uh, Y'all thought I was going to say it again, but I, I, ref- <laughs> I, I said real good. from it. He is a <laughs> he is a professional boxer, and I have a weak chin, so I'm not going to mess around with messing that name up anymore. But guys, uh, just appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate and, it, man. Uh, we will see y'all soon. God bless. God bless. Thank you, guys, man. Appreciate it.